Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 214. What? We're not even here. <laughs> my name is Josh Canal. To my left, Nelly Thomas. Hello. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Now, Box Cutters, of course, all about television. Someone else who's all about television was Craig McLaughlin. Mm. He still is. No, now he's about television, he's about film, he's about theatre, he's he's about musicals. He's and he is a hot and hot hottie. He, he totally is. He is. He's ripped. And, uh, and, and so you, <laughs> you both looked at me like, whatever. No, no. he is, because <laughs> the day we recorded this, He's he happened ripped. to be in a tank top. Really? It was at Joy FM. Oh, was, was he would have got a lot of attention at Joy FM. This is, this is what I, I was going to say. Nelly, you've, you've really missed out. Oh, because, I have. Uh, I would, I mean, I loved him on Neighbours. I loved him on Neighbours. He loved I you loved watching Neighbours. I'm sure we would have been in love if I'd ever met him. Well, it's pr- probably best that you hadn't because, mm. uh, you know. We'd have ugly babies. Oh, because to- beautiful people, <laughs> ugly babies. You know that. You know that. So this is uh, this is something uh, we recorded uh, towards the end of last year uh, with Craig McLaughlin in the Joy Studios. It is part two of our Craig McLaughlin interview. It goes for about nine years. All of it interesting or entertaining. Is he a talker? He's he loves talking. He's ripped and he can talk a lot. Yeah. Mm. Oh, hello. Yeah. So, uh, if, if for your listening pleasure, we present Mr. Craig McLaughlin. This is Marie Cardi, and you are listening to that fluffy white cloud of goodness, box cutters. <laughs> Stick it in the fire and eat it. <laughs> we warned you. We warned you it would happen again. Not enough information from the last time we spoke to this guest, so we needed a lot more. So much more. We brought him in. Off the street, dragged, dragged kicking and dragged. screaming. Mm. Craig McLaughlin, welcome back to Box Cutters. Thank you. I, have we ever done a part two before for a guest? I don't think we have. Oh, you guys virgins to, to, to part, part two. twos. Yeah. And I'm, We've never in a sense, we have taking we your would. part two virginity. You're, you're the experienced gentleman taking us by the hand. Let yeah. me tell you, <laughs> strangely, you know, in the, the broadcasting sense, that excites me no end. <laughs> we've we, we've had we've had return guests, but we've never well, had a continuation a guest, of the same a continuation of the same, <laughs> same interview, interview several days later. But generally, when our guests come back, they become regulars, like Wilbur Wilde, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Wilbur Wilde, Craig McLaughlin, me, uh, yeah, yeah, John. John just t- turned up one day and yeah. then just didn't leave. Didn't leave. Lawrence Mooney. Sometimes he doesn't even tell us he's going to come in. I know. Yeah. That's excellent. But anyway, we, we got to roughly 1989 <laughs> last yeah, time we talked ra- to you. Around about... Did and, we? And, and so I, I wanted to ask, you, mm. you went through the whole Neighbours star machine, which we, mm. we talked about, and then, oh, here's your face on a tablecloth. And, uh, and then... What happened? Like, you, you go through this whole thing, and then you, and then you just say, okay, well, I, I'm the most famous person in the world. Tom Cruise wants to have my babies. And uh, he's not a bad kisser, for the record. Yeah, well, who is? Uh, <laughs> uh, That's then, always been my philosophy, too. <laughs> who is? No one's a bad kisser. And then, you know what? I'm just going to give all this up. I'm just going to leave neighbours. How does that happen? How does that... It happens for a couple of reasons. One, Alan Dale had gotten so cranky. <laughs> <laughs> so cranky. Uh, life... In the street known as Ramsey was impossible. Uh, In fact, I said to him in the jacuzzi one night, I said, you're just so not fun anymore. No, it was a combination of things. Uh, Alan's crankiness aside, uh, 
around that time, Christopher Scase had just purchased uh, the Seven Network here in Australia. And, uh, you know, this is the late 80s. You know, Bond had bought Channel 9 for a ridiculous sum of money. Packer, you know, Kerry, I'm sure I was going to say, is... um, looking down, but perhaps he's looking up at us, still <laughs> laughing about that. Um, but uh, my contract was up for a renewal, and there's always, you know, chit-chat among the execs of the net, both Grundy Television, who, you know, Grundy's originally produced Neighbours. I don't know who produces Neighbours now. Uh, it's uh, it's Fremantle, which uh, bought out, uh, which brought out, bought out, I think, Granada, which bought out Grundy's. Right. Mm. You learn something every day, folks, on box cutters. Even nothing I didn't know that. Nothing useful. No, nothing useful. No, but just, good to know who, just who, who currently produces neighbours. Yeah, who owns, who owns what and why. Uh, but where were you going with that? Where was I going with yeah. that? Where I was going was that uh, Scase decided he would offer me uh, this incredible deal to, to not re-sign with Network 10, to come across to Channel 7. Um, if I'd had an opportunity, actually, to get back to Sydney and get into the... McLaughlin Archives, which is a bit like the the Kiss Archive, but that's another story for another day. Yes, another I podcast. would have brought back the contract with me, which is like every edition of the nineteen seventies editions of the Funk and Wagnalls Encyclopedia, <laughs> all bound together into one woolly mammoth of a document, and that was my deal with Scase and Channel Seven. So, what was Scase promising you? Scase was promising. If I can paraphrase Brett Michaels, the vocalist for the American uh, glam metal band Poison, he was promising nothing but a good time. <laughs> and frankly, how could I resist? Skase was promising nothing but a good time. And it don't get better than this, he said to me in the jacuzzi up at the Port Douglas Resort. So, of course, I signed. But what the contract actually... That Skase could really sing, can he? It's- you have no idea. Don't let that oxygen mask fool you in that whole routine. Um, I, I, I'm waiting for uh, Christopher Skates or, or the uh, the uh, exhumed and reanimated corpse of Christopher, Christopher Skates Skates. in Rock of Love 4. Mm. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Be excellent. Excellent. Uh, where was I going with this? Christopher Skates, Skates what, nothing what but a good time. So, around that, around that time, Skates was also uh, positioning, positioning himself to purchase uh, United Artists MGM. And he made a cash offer. So, you know, traditionally these moguls, these extraordinary kind of ego-driven moguls, if they so choose to go and buy an entire movie studio, they do not make a cash offer. $350 million cash. Not even Mike Myers in any of those silly Dr. Evil would ever... Well, of course, he couldn't possibly make the commitment. You know, he couldn't. And so, did, did anyone tell him it was MGMUA? Like, it, it, you're not buying uh, Universal here. It's not. You're not. Yeah, it's not like it's not like you're um, saving up to buy your first car, is it? <laughs> you know, it's not that that Corolla panel van that mm-hmm. you know your parents help you. With. Suffice to say, uh, he didn't. There was a there was a date where he was required to, you know, make whatever the initial down payment was, you know, a grillion dollars. Let me just backtrack a minute. This Funk and Wagnalls type of voluminous 
contract. For me, it was a three-year period from memory, um, and it included X number because Christopher wanted to recreate a stable in the classic Hollywood golden era of Hollywood tradition. You know, a stable of stars, and he wanted to have a bunch of Aussies, a bunch of Brits, and a bunch of Americans essentially signed to his stable. I'm looking at this contract, and you tell me. The boy from the central coast of New South Wales is presented with year one, X number of American uh, feature films, X number of Australian-American uh, co-produced miniseries and or tele-features, um, and an appearance in a locally produced you know, product. Year two... Five U.S. feature films, <laughs> you know, um, uh, a season singing at Carnegie Hall and uh, your very own space shuttle. <laughs> year, year three, any inflatable toy you want and <laughs> 300 feature films. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? Five gold rings. Yeah, you know, and a partridge. Yeah. So, you know, I see, and I've got this lawyer saying to me, listen, you know, Mr. Central Coast, it ain't ever going to get any better than this. Logie, schmogie, you better gear up for an Oscar. Mutafauke. Uh So, of course, I signed. Who, Honestly, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. So, I sign on a, I think from memory it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. Friday rolls around. Friday night, there's a little bit of celebrating to be had. Of course, it's a mammoth deal. Mm. Come Monday, Christopher Case, Christopher Scase doesn't, well, Tuesday our time, Christopher doesn't make the... The, the initial payment that's required on this MGM, UAMGM deal. So he's then penalised. I don't. I can't remember what the figure was, but anyway, come Tuesday, the whole Quintex empire suffered a massive blow. It was like the wreckers' ball just smashed it, and it was all over. So I've gone from, you know, your own space shuttle and a thousand Hollywood movies. Um, and you can choose whether you want to work with Al Pacino or Robert De Niro who, or whoever. Uh, I've gone from that to, uh-oh, receivers are coming into Channel 7. Scase is, um, uh, you know, they apprehend Scase. They give him his passport back, of course. And within days, <laughs> he's gone. Oh, Christmas case left the country. Oh, you didn't hear? No. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. He hasn't sent me a postcard or anything. He's always been selfish in that regard. Uh, so, but what does that mean your contract, though? Did your contract still stand? Well, well, there was... This gets to the home and away issue. There was a, a tiny little uh, paragraph in the voluminous Funk and Wagnalls contract that basically said, in the highly, let me stress, <laughs> highly <laughs> unlikely event uh, that anything goes belly up because that's simply the chances of that. I mean, there's as much chance of that happening as there is Lucifer making a snowman in hell. And let me tell you, it's hot down there. It's most <laughs> unlikely that the dev himself would make a snowman down there. And it's equally unlikely that anything will happen to the empire known as. But, if it does hit the fan, we can stick you in anything we want. I'm lucky that I spent, I don't know, a year in Home and Away because I could have been reading the weather 
at Channel 7 in uh, Walgett. But did they basically come to you and say, you're now at home and away? Like, was there, was there any discussion about what was going to happen with that clause? Look, they, you know, they were very upfront right from the get-go to say, we'd like to have you make an appearance because, you know, the, the politics of television. Henry Ramsey had been, you know, I'm thrilled to be able to say, hugely popular, despite what Alan Dale would lead you to believe. Henry had been very popular. You know, there was always discussion about me making uh, an appearance in Home and Away. And, uh, you know, I was always up for that. But, of course, once it hit the fan and, and Skase went under and receivers came in, it became, well, no, now you're here to stay. Now, you know, I had a very happy time uh, on the show. You know, um, Alf, Ray Mark, get out of it. Get out of it, you little mongrel. Get out of it, Blake. Watch it. Get out of it. Meet you down the surf club. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific bloke. Very, very dear friend of mine. We had a really... Judy Nunn. I had a great time. But um, it was marred. My time in Home and Away was marred by the entire time I was there. I was legally battling to get out of a contract, which really no longer existed mm-hmm. other than this little thing. And eventually, to his credit, Bob Campbell, who now... Uh, heads up his own production company with uh, with Des Monaghan, the producers of the Underbelly stuff, mm. of course, among other things. Um, at the end of the day, to save more pain and cost, Bob said, hang on a minute. Come on, this isn't what the boy thought he was going to be doing. Let him go. Oh, see, that's not the Channel 7 we know and love today. It certainly is not. Because they, uh, they do love to be in a courtroom. Channel 7 today... They feel comfortable, though. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I could have been... As a cold pressure system comes up from the Antarctic, <laughs> that could have been me. Instead, it was uh, me and Julian McMahon, budgie smugglers, Palm Beach, and scantily clad extras. See, this is... Look, you, you've, you've put a really quite beautiful positive spin on this. How much of that is front? Like, how much of you inside still goes, oh, I should have been in my space shuttle making that Al Pacino movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how much of you are shrieking I can never inside? Watch, I can never watch news footage of any of the launches. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I mean, have you, have you really, how long did it take you to get over? You must have been furious. You must have been so angry. Well, do you know what? At the time, at the time, again, there was so much... Other stuff going on at the, at the same time. The ludicrously named former wife fronts. You know who I'm talking about. Check one who. Exactly. All that stuff was kind of going stratospheric in other countries around the world. So, so I, I would literally take a phone call from the lawyer to say, now this is where we're at. You know, um, uh, Channel 7 are digging their heels in on this point. We want to go on this and da 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 da, and I'd get a tap on my shoulder from management saying, "Okay, Craig, we've got to do that live satellite cross to <laughs> Munich now." And uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I mean, at the time, it was just I kind of wasn't. I was aware of everything that was going on, but I didn't have a moment to sit down and go, "Curses, curses, Skase! I knew I should never have got in that jacuzzi with you at Port Douglas. You, me, John Farnham." Oh, you're the voice trying to understand it. I'll tell you. <laughs> it wasn't until later. It wasn't until later that um, as as things started to quieten down and uh, and I could take a breath and go, hang on a minute, you know, 
wow, I, sh- I, I potentially could have been here doing this. But the other thing is, you know, this business is, this business is, whilst I love, as you know, John, I love every element of the performing aspect of this business. This business is a shit. There's no two ways about it. And anyone who says it isn't, delusional. <laughs> so, from a very young age, there was a lovely bit of mime there for the for the viewers video of podcast. The podcast. Yeah. There's no there's no video podcast. Uh, there is no video podcast. from a very early age. I I realised kind of the nature of the business and how it can go, which I, which I we talked about this last time. You mentioned you seem like a, a fairly happy bloke most of the time. Uh, in a business that is pretty much constantly, uh, you know, taking a foot to your derriere. But it's the nature of the business, isn't it? You know. But, of course, um, uh, just wrapping up on Skase, uh, I appeared in a film. Uh, let's, oh, get Skase. let's Get Skase. Let's Get Skase. Mm. Which um, I remember when the, the boys approached me... Uh, the writer-director Matthew George and his colleague Lockie Hume approached me to get involved. And it was a very funny premise. And the early script was very funny. And, um, pardon me, um, everyone associated with the project was very excited. And we went ahead and we shot it. And uh, Matthew George actually, in real terms, did a terrific job, you know. Uh, And we had a very entertaining film. Well, of course, and I'd have to double-check with my friends at Village Roadshow, but I think the day before it was released, Christopher Scase actually it, did die. It, it, it was very close. It was uh, like the timing couldn't have been more savage. But I remember Matthew and uh, Lockie, and they'd been so consumed, years of research. I mean, they they knew more about his life on that uh, seemingly faraway Spanish Isle, and I mean, I can't tell you, just reams and reams of research. We were at a meeting talking about, and I had recorded some music for the film, and we were having a, a listening party at Village Roadshow, and everyone's very excited, and they'd they'd cut together some uh, some trailers and stuff to the the music, which was really really cool. Everyone's buzzed, and this guy comes in from another office, and he says. Have you guys seen the afternoon edition of the paper? And we're like, no, why, you know, we're listening to music and we're checking out the trailer. Why would we race out? And he dropped it on the desk. And silence, pause. Everything in the room went it's a lie said Matthew George it's a lie this is the sort of shit he is capable of and (laughs) and of course they were convinced Matthew and Lockie were convinced that this was him pulling the ultimate stunt from beyond the grave you you can only get away with oxygen mask shit for so long (laughs) And they thought the ego of the man, he'd now taken it to the next level. Of course, we we all learnt that he wasn't kidding in this instance. And the film? Well, funny, we're talking about death. Let's use the word stiff, shall we? All right. <sighs> yes. Another McLaughlin almost straight to DVD so, moment. So y- y- you leave home and away, 
I'm assuming uh, they get you out of the contract. Is that that? Yes, the contract yeah. is broken. With yes. So, yep. so so they break the, they break the contract, yep. and uh, and you say, Alf, Elsa, it's been nice knowing your sideburns. I'm Alf, and and of course he says, Go on, get out of it, you little mugger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't flame and wait around. <laughs> Don't flame and wait around. And uh, and 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 then what happens? You, you got check one two going on. Uh, All of that stuff was happening. Uh, and because uh, we kind of lose sight of you in Australia, you, at that you, stage. you leave, don't you? At some point, when there, it seems to be that you yes. went to the UK. When when did that happen? Well, I was I was zipping. I would zip across to London to do brief again during that whole battle with uh, with Seven after Quintex went under. That was around the time that the the. Uh, Gosh, the soundproofing. What a shame we don't have a few old hand towels to uh, stick around the bottom of the doors here. Yeah, that's the windows in this one. Mm. It's, the, it's the doors in Studio One. One, one of them has already sold for $220. <laughs> and uh, we won't mention why. Got such a high price, suffice to say. So anyway, uh, so all the, the, uh, the ludicrously named Check One Two thing was going berserk during that time and uh uh through all of the the battling with seven at the time who were in receivership as i say you know uh they would extend a little olive branch every now and then which was we'll we'll let you go to london for a week to promote your stuff so i would go across let my people go (laughs) yes so they let they let we zip off for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd squeeze in as much promo as possible and come back and slip straight back into a pair of Summer Bay budgie smugglers and uh, and you know back to Alf's Barbie at the Surf Life Saving Club. When I when we parted company, me and uh, Seven, um, I got I got offered a. a a miniseries. Don Crombie was was uh, directing part two of the uh, the Heroes project. Um, the the true true story about the special Z Force guys that kayaked through mm. through uh, uh, Western Indonesia and then through Malaysia into Singapore Harbour and planted you know uh, mines on Japanese. Oh, the, the inspiration for the Amazing Race. Inspiration for. <laughs> I like a guy who thoroughly does his research. <laughs> the inspiration for. So I went and did the miniseries. Uh, uh, hot on the heels of that, we went and did uh, some more promo stuff in England, if memory serves me correctly. And then um, I was asked to do a film in New Zealand called Absent Without Leave with a director, a lovely bloke by the name of John Lang. It was while I was doing uh, this film in New Zealand that... Paul Dainty, the Australian concert promoter, entrepreneur, called up and said, uh, mate, we're doing a new version of Rocky Horror Show. We wonder if you'd be interested in playing either uh, Rocky, the mm-hmm. you know the, Frank's creation, or perhaps Brad. And I simply said, there's only one role in that show. If you're calling me up to talk to me about Rocky Horror, there's only one role. And Mag- I think we know which role that is. Magenta. 
Exactly. <laughs> but she'd already been cast, so I had to put my hand up for Frank. But it's weird, actually, offering someone the role of Rocky is actually quite dismissive. It, it actually seems slightly offensive. Well, in, it, was in just, a... it was just all about... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're buff. You yeah. know, and yeah. you know, I... Yeah, we'd go there. We'd sure. hit that. You know, but... <laughs> We'd go there, we'd tap that unit, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, thank, thank you, audience of Ricky yeah. Lake. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, we'd he, tap that He unit. thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> um, now, honestly, the surgeon said once the swelling from the surgery subsides, my tits will look perfectly natural. Oh. But, but it's, I mean, I'm just saying, for a celebrity to ring up and go, hey, do you want to play the, the role that's effectively a, a glorified a extra? Yeah, the sword of Dan Cleese's hand yeah. over my He hand. gets the one bad song that, you know... Well, and I was equally dismissive on the phone. I, you know, I said, "Look, there's only one role. If you're ringing me," and he rang straight back and he said, "That is what we've all been talking about, but we just didn't think you'd be interested." And I said, "Why on earth not?" He said, "Well, you know, coming from neighbours, everyone's favourite curly-headed mullet boy next door, you know, Logie winning, you know, Frank is." I went, "Listen, it would be." Not only strategically the best thing I could do at the moment, um, it's the it, you know it's the only role in the show I'd be inter- interested in playing. But anyway, this is you know this is kind of a mood because po- I'm in the wilds of Tokoroa, just north of Rotorua. You can still just smell the sulphur making a movie. So, and that was kind of it. Well, Paul never never gave up, and he you know he hung out until the film was finished. And by then, I had an opportunity to go back and do more stuff in Britain. And so Rocky was really off the agenda for me, and uh, and Paul said, "Look, is it is it money?" And I said, "You know, it's not it's not about the money, but you know, I have opportunities to go and pursue some things in England. I'd like like to do that." And jokingly, like, he said to me, "What would it take for me to get you to sign on the dotted line to do Rocky?" And I absolutely jokingly said, "How about a red?" 325i, that would be Series 3 BMW. Doesn't necessarily have to be a convertible, but certainly a sunroof for a guy who likes the blue sky like me. That would probably sway me. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) To Paul Dainty's eternal credit, I got up the next day to go to the gym and out the front of my house was a red 325i with a sunroof. I rang him immediately and said, Darling, (laughs) let's do a show. So when you're doing uh, when you're doing a role like Frank and Furter, and uh, and Tim Curry has done it so well, and then Daniel Abenieri has done it and and really become known for it in Australia, how do you then go and make it your own? It, it was, uh, you know, it, Tim Curry. I saw the film again recently. He's just wonderful in it. Daniel, of course, you mentioned, um, going right back to Reg, of course, Reg Livermore, originally here in Australia, certainly um, put his stamp on it. I just, do you know what, at the time, I just thought, um, I, I, I didn't go and grab the video and watch it again. I hadn't seen it for a number of years. I deliberately do, didn't do any of that. All I kind of said to my to myself and uh, to the director at the time, Nigel Triffitt, was, I'm just going to lose myself in this. I apologise in advance. It may end up being racier than you possibly ever imagined it would be. 
having me in the role, but I've just got to lose myself in it. And and it started really simply. I would do tangible things like I asked for my Frankenfurter shoes to be made very early on in the piece. And they were, uh, you'll appreciate this, Josh, you and I have a shared uh, kiss story. They were um, eight-inch stiletto-cut platform shoes. So the cut was very stiletto-esque, but, you know, the heel was like eight and a half inches. and Fantastic. I got them very early on and I would take them with me everywhere and I would, the hotel I'm staying at, I'd put them on, I'd walk around my hotel room if I had to whip down to reception to get something, to the horror, (laughs) to the horror of the assembled guests in reception seeing, isn't that Henry Ram thing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just the one, this is the day of facts, of course, just the one facts, yeah, good on you, and I'd mince back to the elevators again to the shock and horror of everyone there. And that was the start of it for me. And and thankfully, uh, thankfully, it worked. I remember um, the first review in Melbourne was, well, as you might expect, hooray, Henry, and went on to say, you know, he's he's uh, he's just um, shattered the the Ramsey Street lovable larrikin image in one fell but moreover, it was just the f- it was a, the first opportunity I'd had to just really to really just cut loose. I, I mean, um, Nigel Triffitt, the director of that version of Rocky, for better or worse, he said, "I've assembled people here who I think, in effect, I don't have to direct. I'll tell you where you need to be in relation to my set design and whatever. But I trust that you people will just." Had you done theatre at this point? Nada. You, you, so had, you, you no didn't pantos? do the pantos? We wanted no. to took, took advantage of that whole neighbour's panto No, could have made think. a fortune too, I discovered, mm-hmm. years down the track. As they still do. Uh, funny enough. Get out of it, you mongrel. Get out of it, you mongrel. Uh, Mary Poppins. Still makes, <laughs> still makes a fortune. Alf, uh, Ray... Still, uh, I don't know, Ray's been in Home and Away from the beginning, hasn't he? Yeah, so I, yeah I'd always assume that you, you probably... Because it seemed to be all the Neighbours cast used to go over to the UK in, in the summer break and, and do these pantos. It's yeah. such a and, common thing to and do. And Mr. T. And Mr. T. What? Mr. T did Aladdin. He was the uh, he was the genie one year in Aladdin. Fool! I know! Fool! <laughs> I know! The only time I've ever actually wanted to go to a panto. Oh, that would be fantastic. So, instead, Rocky Horror... Incredibly famous musical, incredibly famous role, made famous. Yeah, people think of it as Tim Curry, huge mega production. That's your first ever time on stage. First ever time. Wow. Uh, and again, and maybe this is just the uh, delusion of, of uh, confidence, if you like, but it never occurred to me at the time that I had never been in a professional musical theatre production before. It just it just didn't occur to me. Um, funny enough, now as a much older man, if I'm presented with a project and it's something that I've never done before, I I take a step back and go, mm-hmm. oh dear, but, but, I've never done saying, that before. But, but you hadn't even been in a theatre show, like not even like just a straight play, like a... No, no, know, nothing. I no. mean, you know, I popped up in something at school, mm-hmm. but beyond that, professionally, absolutely not. Or, you know, oh, I wasn't involved in any amateur theatre companies or anything like that um but uh yeah i just remember being so excited the excitement of doing it 
And also that role, I remember Richard O'Brien, who is obviously the, the creator of Rocky Horror Show, and Richard and I have become terrific mates, and we've done Chitty Bang Bang and all sorts together in London. I remember him saying, I did a one-off charity performance of Rocky Horror before I was invited by Paul Dandy to do it in Australia. I did a one-off charity thing in London to raise money. This is very early on in the, the whole AIDS awareness thing. And there was a lot of fear and um, Richard O'Brien put together a midnight performance of Rocky Horror at the, the Piccadilly Theatre. And I think Richard's got video footage of it. If I ever get my hands on it and I can share it with you box cutters guys and maybe we can leak a bit of it onto the net, who knows? But it was just one of those magic magic nights of theatre. Richard himself played Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. And Richard, of course, is best known as Riff in the yeah. the film. So suddenly he's in the role that really, and I don't know if Richard would admit it on, on radio, but really Frank was written for him. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and his growing up in New Zealand and... and uh, the challenges and and issues he was coming to terms with as a young guy questioning everything about himself in New Zealand kind of had all kind of spewed out into Mm -hmm. Frank and Rocky Horror and his love of B movies and all that sort of thing. But anyway, I remember Richard saying to me after we did this charity performance and I played uh, the meatloaf Eddie the Rocker Mm. thing and Dr. Scott. What Brad? Uh, Which is, I, I think, in the film is is uh, one of the only times that's not the same same actor. actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we had a great time. And uh, when I found out I was doing Rocky in Australia, I, you know, obviously Richard was aware of it. He rang me. He said, "I'm so delighted." He said, "I'm I'm so delighted for you." He said, "I think there's something in you." He said, "I think there is this lovely, likable thing that that the public grasp and and." Um, uh, and you enjoy your public on that level and all the rest. He said, but I know there's something else in there and it will come out in Frankenfurter. And as a result, Frank will never leave you. And I can remember thinking at the time, oh, Richard, what have you been smoking now? <laughs> dear, oh dear. But he was absolutely right. Something about, it's an incredibly powerful role. And, you know, some of my intense fist to the forehead contemporaries will want to kill me when I say this, but it is as powerful as any really powerful Shakespearean leading role you care to mention. There is something about it. It just breaks down the walls of self-consciousness and 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 allows you, as an actor and, a, and as a person, believe it or not, to... Um, excitingly tiptoe through these pastures that perhaps you wouldn't ordinarily, you know, wander through. S- something I've always said is, is Frankenfurter is uh, just Prospero in fishnets. He says that all the time. Mm. It's weird because it's never made sense until now. And now it makes <laughs> yeah. sense, right? Because yeah, but, when, but we, it, when we were reviewing like comedy series, and you said that, I no idea, no idea. Yeah, no. but it's right. Ah. <laughs> uh, Enchanté. <laughs> and what charming underclothes you box cutters boys have. But put these surgical garments on, they'll make you feel less vulnerable. <laughs> so, so first, first taste of theatre, clearly loved it. Loved it. Took to it. Uh, having now done theatre, film, television, you can be perfectly honest. Please say television. 
Station, which is the uh, <laughs> which is the one that you uh, that that you prefer. Where, where do you get your kicks as a as a performer? I knew Josh was going to ask that question. Television. <laughs> <laughs> and now, really? Now, if now, I can be honest, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really, because um, I've always thought you know the, the stage, and you know, having done Guys and Dolls in Year Eight at school, uh, ha- having that uh, instant response from an audience uh, is is just better than any other uh, medium, I, I would think. But then... It's the instant I love, gratification. Yeah. But Ooh. then I love television so much. See, Judy Dench, because I, I, you know, you're very similar. You Stop and Judy calling Dench. me Judy Certainly Dench. in build. Yeah. You look... I mean, in the street, people... I mean, to look Danger! Oh, sorry. It's great. Mm, it's great. Mm. Um, I remember she, she said that you know, theatre is her favourite thing, then television She was one second. of Check One Two's drummers. She was. But that's another yeah, yeah, yeah. story for another the time. The whole vomit story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Judy Dench, a.k.a. Two... Yeah, um, but she's a television is her next story because the stuff she does tends to be uh, you know, like almost like three camera setup stuff. So she gets to actually follow the one story all the way through and films her least favorite thing because she never she's never quite sure what the hell she's doing. It always seems like these mm. random moments that she has to try and work. I've out. noticed that about uh, Judy Dench in film. <laughs> she's just really just just trying to work out what the hell she's doing. <laughs> Where all she the time. is walking into stuff. Yeah. Where am I? Completely yeah, so, lost. But, but yeah, so so what what is your what is your favorite? What is your well preferred? You know, as Josh's. Uh, guys and Dolls experience so clearly illustrated. There's nothing quite like the buzz of just walking out on stage, whether it's to 20 people or 20,000 people. It is. It's the. It's instant. It's it's exciting. Unlike telly, there there are no take one, uh, take twos, take threes, whatever. But you're but, doing the same thing every night. Well, th- there is that, and and the trick is, I mean, uh, you know, even doing Chicago at the moment. In its final days, Exhibition Street, Her Majesty's Theatre. Even doing Chicago. Uh, it's, it's over it's, by the yeah, time they hear All righty <laughs> then. You may want to cut that bit out. If you've got to cut anything out of the interview, cut that bit out, will you? It just makes me look like a plonker who has no idea what's going on. A bit like Judy Dench on a film set. No idea what's going on. No uh, no, no, original cast uh, recording to, to flog? <laughs> Sadly not. Oh no, perhaps that's a good thing. Uh, I, like you guys, grew up loving television I, I mean I was that kid that you know the parents would read those scary articles in the late 60s early 70s about children sitting too close to the television their eyes would go square and my mum was very concerned that that was going to be me she'd be taking me shopping and having people pointing going <laughs> that young chap's got square eyes he's been sitting too close to the pie 26 inch television <laughs> I loved it all I loved it all um, um, from the obvious things that kids would be drawn to, you, you know, your Batmans, the, um, the Adam West, Burt Ward um, version of the television, which was the second TV series, actually, wasn't it? There was a black and white. There was a, there, there was a black and white uh, one earlier that was really just was a, a, serial, a, continu- a continuation of the film serial. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Lost in Space, of course, all that stuff, Land of the Giants, you know, your Brady Bunches. I mean, I was addicted to all of it. And uh, from a very early age, always knew that oh, I'd love to work until I'd love to be on the telly, you know. Um, and I do enjoy it enormously. Even, you know, neighbours to this day cops a lot of flack for being neighbours. But i got to tell you, you know, as a training ground, if 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 you, you know, have the savvy to kind of really, really um, use the experience to learn, Oh, there's nothing like it. You know, churning out 20-something scenes a day in studio, um, learning that 
volume of material. Well, it, actually, it, I should be clear here. Some of us would learn that volume of material, and some wouldn't. I won't mention any cranky folk. But one of the reason, <laughs> one of the reasons, Mister Cranky was so cranky at me was one day, just to test a certain theory I had. Uh, I had a scene where I had to say Henry had to say something like. Hey, I've just thrown the stuff in the back of the car. Um, I'm going to be right to head off in about 10 minutes. Did you still want to lift? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in the car with you, would be Cranky's response. On the take, I did this. Hey, I've thrown all the stuff in the car. Took a slight pause and... Yeah, I'll be... I'll be. Oh, hang on, I hadn't finished. I, <laughs> I, oh, you don't know yet? Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Just waiting for that pause. Gotcha. <laughs> and he's hated me ever since. But anyway, I digress. It's a great classroom. It really is a great classroom. Um, so, Josh, I, I love telly. You know, I'm filming something like, you know, Pack to the Rafters, where you've got a fun cast, storylines that, whether you love or hate the show, storylines that clearly people, huge numbers of people relate to and respond to to something like Bugs, which sadly we would never really get the opportunity to shoot something like Bugs in Australia. But well, we, we didn't even really get the opportunity to, yeah. to see it. it. Yeah, We did play here, but it, it's, Bugs was the, was the other one of your projects we want to talk about I mean, very briefly. It was a, effectively a, a gadget kind of action series, a little bit like oh, yeah, Chuck. It's, it's or, still only Friday. So, uh, so we were still going well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a little, <laughs> a, little, a little bit in that Chuck style, um, it did have people from the Avengers connected to it, so it had that kind of yeah. English kind of sensibility. And um, yeah, it was a really interesting show. It was really interesting. It did, you know, it did phenomenally well in uh, Britain and Europe. And it was so fun to shoot. It, it really was, again, for, for, for someone who as a kid would just, Love the television, whether it was the Six Million Dollar Man. I mean, I can't tell you. As a kid, I would squint my eye and squint it and squint, and I still wouldn't get the little camera. You're so racist. Did you? Well, did, did you have the the Six Million Dollar Man doll where you could look in through the did back I, of his head? Did I have the, the Six Million Dollar Man doll? Yeah, I did. I asked for it for a birthday present, and I got. I didn't realize at the time that he had the hole in the head. Oh. And the Virgo in me, I just saw that as a very incomplete thing. I went, you can't be giving me a doll with a hole straight through the head. That shit, it. that shit ain't going to fly. I want the complete six million. This is only like a four and a half million dollar man doll. Uh, but, um, you know, the opportunity to do something like Bugs in, Brit- in Britain was just fantastic. You know, full of special effects and pyros and explosions. And, you know, I got to do stunt courses with you know guys who do all the bond films to so i could really get involved in the stunt work of the show i mean it's just fantastic fun film and i have to say i love the process unlike dame judy i always know where i am on a film set and it's usually by the catering truck uh uh but um and i would love i would love you know i'd love the opportunity to do more film but gosh if i had to pick a favorite i'd I don't know if I could, but 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 the right television project. There's nothing quite like it, you know. So, so the, the right television project. What what would that be now? If you could be offered any role in any show, what would you go for? I'm I am that person. I am that friend of yours that you sit watching television with, and uh, Sopranos will be on. And I'm that guy that sits next to you and clearly blonde and blue-eyed and I'd go, 
Jeez, I wish I was Italian. I wish I had dark hair. I mean, you know, contact lenses are good these days. I would love to do a drama like Sopranos. A week later, I come over, Josh, I bring some pizza. You've got a couple of beers in the fridge. We sit down and mad men come on. And I go, you know, if I trimmed down a bit, lost a bit of weight and whatever, I, you know, I, I don't look bad in a suit. I would love to be in Mad Men. Then you and I are looking at some retro cable channel one day and Land of the Giants comes on and I say to you, I look great in greenery, you know, <laughs> where blades of grass have been, you know, I could do that. Late night infomercial. I could be the cynical best I friend. I could be the cynical best friend. You know. I, uh, I, I have always said, Craig McLaughlin looks great when he's peeking around a rock. <laughs> Don't get me started on Zachary Smith stuff. <laughs> you ninny! Uh, Zachary Smith, uh, uh, Jonathan, um, uh, the actor's name, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, it will come to me in a moment. Anyway, weird, let yeah. me get back Just to it. You know blank. who I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. He saw Lost in Space, of course, as an important piece as any Shakespeare piece. Uh, uh, you'll think, look at, look at Josh. Yeah, you, it's, folks, it's annoying. Folks listening to it's us, you can't annoying. see it, but I have just... Cropley, you do have the internet there on that box. Do you? I, I, I'm wary of uh, Jonathan Harris. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Harris. Because oh! all I could think of was Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah so yeah. was I, and yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, totally yeah. wrong. Yeah. Jonathan Harris. Uh, look, you know, if they ever did a remake of Lost in Space, <laughs> and if Paul Dainty was producing it and rang up and said, I want you to play Professor John Robinson, You'd be I'd there. say, you need. <laughs> There's only one role to play. It would have to be Dr. Smith. Dr. Zachary. And you could play Dr. Smith as Frankenfurt. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> Robot. <laughs> Will. Anybody. <laughs> oh, Judy, what charming underclothes you have. <laughs> These searching cards on. <laughs> so, uh, with your... Just by the way... Should I throw this in now? Mm. How are we going for time? <laughs> oh, we've we've got about you know five days. We? Oh, five, five, we've got, we've got about five ten minutes okay. left. Uh, with um, we, we, I, I have one thing to bring up, which should be the bit at the end, though. So we'll, we'll okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll, we'll finish this bit. Off. We'll finish this bit, okay. and then we'll smooth. Yeah. Nothing but smooth at yeah. box cutters. I'll try and be concise, and yeah. I. Who am I kidding? Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, uh, it might be before time, but uh, you, you wanted me to remind you of Big Brick. No, that's what I was going to break up as a bit at the end. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that'll be, the, yeah. so, nice so, one. So I'll, I'll do my question okay. and, then, and then we'll go and then we'll Big, big breakfast. breakfast. And then we'll, we'll <laughs> no, no, hug and Big Breakfast, let's record that separately. So we'll, we'll wrap up the whole interview. Okay. And then we can and then, go, then we do big yeah, and Then we can do that as a bit at the end. Yeah, and then Pete Smith. Yeah, yeah, and then Pete Smith. And the Pete Smith. Did yeah. John just literally turn this in, the interview into a production meeting? Yes, he has, hasn't he? <laughs> he I feel strangely uncomfortable all of a sudden. <laughs> He's very well. You fucking started <laughs> with your how much time have yeah. we got left? Yeah, yeah. My apologies. <laughs> so now with your really busy schedule. What TV do you make time to to watch? Because uh, we had uh, Genevieve Lemon on, and she had been doing uh, stage shows for twenty nine years, and uh, and yeah, twenty nine years and running. Didn't and, know that the Brady Bunch had been pulled e- off here. Exa- no. Exactly. Just it just had had no idea what was on television since she stopped being on Neighbours. Oh, sorry, on uh, on Prisoner. On, yeah. Uh, what what do you make time to watch? Well, do you know what I have fallen in love with Mad Men. 
I have, see, I have to say. Oh, oh Josh, you're not a fan. I just, I, I think, it, I think it's a little bit obvious. <laughs> I think, I think it's a little bit. Ooh, aren't we being sexist? Wink, wink. Oh, almost like it's set in the '60s. Oh, mm, controversial. I know. Look at that. I'm stumped. I know. I know. Anyway, like we, a man who's fallen foul of a like Johnson a, 350 horsepower outboard uh, I, I think, in a nasty. Skiing accident. I am for the moment stumped. I, I. Thought, that was a long way to go. I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of something to come back. But to, I, 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 I think I think the acting is uh, is is fantastic. I think it's shot really nicely. Yeah, Do you not like the you not you don't like the writing? I th- I think uh, I think bits of the writing are good, and I think once they once they got over the hump of. Oh my God! Wasn't it politically incorrect in the sixties? Haven't ch- times changed? And actually got into the bulk of I what the characters it, were about. I, I think it, it got a lot better. But those first few episodes in uh, in season one really hard. I to can get see over. what you're saying. It, t- to be honest, uh, the first season, uh, a friend of mine gave me the DVD and actually said, "Stick with it. Stick with. Just hang in for those. For get over those first few. And you've got a good point. I think you're right. But if, series if, if, season if somebody... two, I've really, really enjoyed. Oh, I have to I say, love, I love both. It's because I know people have complained, thinking that the show revels in that stuff. It's really the opposite of what you're saying. I know people who, who didn't like it going on the show, saying, "Isn't it great that we used to be able to smoke and beat up women?" And so I actually know people who've taken the other right way of watching that. Mm. So well. if if somebody mm. if somebody gave you uh, the wire, for instance, and said exactly the same thing, stick with it. Watch, watch past the first six episodes. It's and not just, about you anymore, and just Craig. Get there. It's so not about you. Would you? Would you do that? Would you do that, Craig? Would you just stick with it? Can Gosh, is that the time? <laughs> it feels like Mum and Dad are fighting and using the kids. Can we? Can we get back to asking questions about Craig? You're coming to live with me. I am. I think I have to. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Were, were you a Lost in Space or Land of the Giants kid? Well, uh, Lost in Space was on a lot more. Than, uh, than Land, Land of, of the, the Giants. Giants. Land of the Giants was only on 11 o'clock on Channel 9 on Saturday mornings before Wide World of Sports. Countdown or Donny Sutherland's Sound Unlimited? Again, or as it was abbreviated later, Sound. Sounds. Uh, I know one was early one Saturday, was Saturday morning. Saturday morning, the other one. Uh, I, think, I think Sounds. Sounds for me because it's the first time... I uh, ever heard Werewolves in London. Yeah. Warren Zevon. Yep. I grew up in the country. We didn't have these choices to make. Marilyn Mayo's Super Flying Fun Show <laughs> or Channel 10's Alley School. Hang on a minute. You're probably not that old. <laughs> I've <laughs> just really upset myself. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with Weekday Early Bird Show. <laughs> early you. Bird Show? Yeah, weekday, on, early. weekday Early Bird Show. Marty Monster. Yeah. Do you want to hear a quick Marty Monster story? Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> when Mar- do I? When do I not? Marty Monster, uh, the guy inside the Marty Monster suit was a guy called David Triscott, and Marty kind of talked like that. You remember? And uh, there'd be Daryl Cotton, and later on in the final years of its Saturday morning uh, period, they which, to, which was some years later. Yeah, uh, I would get asked every now and then if Daryl had commitments. I get asked to go in and host and, you know, with Marty Monster. So, and I was young, dumb and up for just about anything at Channel 10, none of wanting these days, those days. And, uh, and it was live television then as well. So that was chaotic and fun and, you know, but 
the guy inside the Marty suit was just proof that you don't necessarily have to die and go to hell to meet the devil. No. The devil is alive and well on planet Earth. He just hides in a Marty monster suit. And this guy, he would take his arm... You have to imagine this, folks listening. He would take his arm out of the arm... The sleeve. The the sleeve of the, of the monster suit. But from an audience point of view, you just still see the monster's arm there. But his arm now is free inside the bulk of the suit, the torso, if you like, the abdomen of the Marty monster suit. And and Marty was all hairy. And there was a slit down the front of the suit <laughs> that enabled him because it used to reach like surface of the sun type temperatures in the Marty monster suit, particularly in the television studio. So he could reach out with his human hand, get a refreshing beverage, pull it back into the abdomen of Marty monster, bring it up to his head and through a straw you know consume the beverage but when I was live on television and and they had a a bench about the height of this a little higher than the table where we're sitting at at the moment and we'd come out of we'd come out of uh, Spider-Man or something a cartoon and uh, uh, Craig will be with you in five four three two Hi, folks. Boy, things are heating up there with old Spidey, eh? Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. You kids know the songs. Anyway, more importantly now, it's birthdays. It's birthday o'clock, and I'm going to read out some birthdays. In fact, we've got some letters here where some mums and dads are giving you instructions where to find your birthday presents. Okay, the first one we have is John Smith. Now, John, as I'm doing all this, Marty Monster appears behind me. Unbeknownst to me, his arm is now free in the suit. Hey, Craig! What are you doing? Live television, let me remind you folks. Oh, Marty, I'm just reading out some birthday uh, some birthday greetings and some instructions for kids so they can go and find their presents. Oh, presents! I love surprises. Do you love surprises, Craig? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I love a surprise. Oh, that's good to know. I said, do you want to stay with me while I read these? I think I'll just stand right behind you here. Okay, so John, if you go behind the couch... Just by the window, you know where mum keeps her... Alrighty then! (laughs) He's got a drink bottle. And just as I get to the crucial information for the kid to find his present, he's got his free arm out of the slit of his suit and he's thrust that bottle where it's argued the sun should never shine. It's been argued the sun shines from me occasionally, (laughs) but let me tell you, until you've had... Until you've had a black currant and apple juice bottle thrust up your derriere on live television by a guy whose arm is free inside a monster costume, you haven't lived. And he did not let up until, out of absolute desperation, I pleaded with the floor manager if we could throw back to a commercial or back to Spider Man. <laughs> Thank you for that, Marty. Now, John, if you. All <laughs> right. What's wrong, Craig? <laughs> What's wrong? I thought you liked surprise. I mean, it was a nice... <laughs> some uh, weird mind kind of mind game going on between you and Marty. A nightmare. Oh, you know what? You know, Marty was just... Marty always had eyes for me. And he just wasn't my kind of monster. Uh, you, you were more a, a Sigmund of the sea variety. Sea monster, yes. Anyway, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. <laughs> that's that's uh, our pleasure. Somehow as... that kid's still looking for his present. present. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor 
with John Smith. Yeah. John Smith, angry now. Angry, Mom, angry, Mom, angry man. Mum, Craigie said that my present was right by the... No! <laughs> no, by the... What is a... Anyway. <laughs> oh, Craig McLaughlin, thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters again. And, and I feel like... Again, I feel like we haven't really... There's still got, more. There's still there's more. Still more. Look, just da- the surface. Dare I say it, and we won't be able to do it probably until, until I get back from overseas, yeah. but that's not that far. Dare we say it, is there a part <laughs> three? <laughs> I'm, Has you this know, become I, broadcasting I, miniseries? I'm willing to, to feed you a line and was, then have you tell stories for two hours <laughs> again, Craig. I'm always up for that. Oh, uh, well, maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe Thanks. I could get Marty Monster in I think here. part three. Yeah. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Ah, that Craig McLaughlin. I told you he can talk, Nelly. <laughs> he can do more than talk. Hello. Hey. Hey. I don't know why I said that. You'll know what she's talking about if you have a look at the video podcast, because we did happen to catch Craig on the camera There's of the no moving way. pictures. Has he still got a mullet? There's no, no, no. no oh, that's a shame. He doesn't. Really? Yeah, it's that's a shame. shame. He you could carry off a mullet. You got the Pam's blonde mullet? Yeah, some people can wear a mullet. Jason uh, Donovan. I mean, he was at his peak with that permed blonde mullet. Well, he can have a... It was perm- in spite of, though, I think. He had Kylie. He can have a permed blonde mullet and a pork pie hat, Jason Donovan. What's a pork pie hat? It's a hat that looks like a pork pie. What's a pork pie look like? A pork pie hat. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make that up? No. Joshy, come no. on. Google Images, pork pie hat. <laughs> okay, I'm pork going to. Uh, uh, Angel in Dexter. Oh, I haven't watched Where's Dexter. It? Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh. Okay, we can throw out <laughs> heaps of references. Uh, Pork pie hat. The cameraman in uh, Homicide Life on the Streets. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Homicide yeah, Life on the Streets. Pork pie hat. Uh, there's, uh, are these things on Foxtel? No, no? they no, they're on free to air. Are they? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Jesus, what have I been doing? I oh, don't know. stuff. Yeah, stuff. Nineteen shows. <laughs> Homicide was on uh, back in nineteen ninety four. I think he was on there. I was at university then. I would have been reading. Anyway, we've 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 <laughs> talked enough because Craig talked enough, and and yeah, together cool. we've uh, we've we've all spoken enough. Uh, that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode two hundred and fourteen. I want to say thanks so much for Craig to Craig McLaughlin for for being so patient with mm. his time. Uh, thanks also to John Richards, who you heard in that. Uh, in that interview for uh, setting it all up. Uh, He'll be back in a couple of weeks on our show. Uh, Until next week. Oh, I want to say, we have a Facebook page. If you're a fan of box cutters Mm. and and you're part of Facebook, you should totally go to facebook.com slash box cutters, become a fan of box cutters. And then suggest to all of your friends that they become fans of box cutters. Yes. And then, if we have a million people in this group, there we'll will be a, a million people in it. Mm. <laughs> that, that, that That's was very a, literal. Yeah, it's a literal yeah. metaphor. And but we could know. we could perhaps get almost as popular as the pickle that's more popular than Rob Thomas. That would be great. Who the hell is Rob Thomas? I keep hearing about Rob Thomas. He's a singer. He's, he's either the creator of Veronica Mars, right, or no. the lead singer of Matchbox Twenty. That's the one. Oh, I'm with you. Okay. Whatever. So facebook.com slash boxcutters. Become a fan. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Nellie Thomas. Catch ya. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Boxcutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.
Boxcutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find Boxcutters and then they can enjoy it too. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net or via SMS on 0458 288 837. That's 0458 Cutter. So we got messages in after the last time going, for God's sake, the big breakfast. It was the big breakfast we were meant to be reminding oh, you of. But we, we didn't. The big breakfast. The big breakfast. breakfast. Was, people said they were shouting at their, their oh, MP3 players. Big the breakfast. Big breakfast. Yeah. Big breakfast, of course. Uh, Chris Evans was the original uh, host of the big breakfast. Um, our friend Mark Little from mm. Melbourne, of course, took mm. over in the latter years. Now, were you on Neighbours at the same time as Mark Little? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Joe Mangle and Henry for a period had a gardening business together how we managed how mark and i managed to ever get anything shot in the can is you know i it it was chaos with mark and i on set in the best most fun possible way but um chaos nonetheless but uh the big breakfast of course featured uh in bed with paulie yates um the paula who's sadly no longer with us but um she was great fun and uh again this is Back during, for me, this is back during the the crazy period of the ludicrously name check one, two, Mona thing over there. So I used to pop on the big breakfast. Whenever I zipped over for these quick promo visits, I'd always have an invitation to go on the big breakfast. And it was a lot of fun. Again, chaotic live television, you know. It was hosted at this point in time by Chris Evans, who's, um, who's had an amazing career in radio in the United Kingdom. Nuttier, nuttier than a packet of Christmas cashews. This kid, I mean, flaming red hair. Uh, uh, when I first met him, he was working at London GLR, Greater London Radio, and he, in the middle of an interview, he just put a vacuum cleaner on the desk next to his microphone and uh, said, "I'd like to introduce you to Jade Gahoover." <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, he said, I, are you politically minded? And I went, uh... <laughs> anyway, he went on to host this show. He was he was very funny. We used to have a great time. And they said, would you like to do Paula's segment in bed with Paulie Yates? And I said, sure. And Big Breakfast was shot in a two-story house down by a lock near somewhere near Camden, I think. And uh, none of those places are real. None of those places are real. Nothing's real in television. But uh, I went upstairs and prepared for Paula's segment. And and uh, I said to the floor manager, I said, what's the story here? Like, you know, And he said, well, guests just sit on the bed with Paula and they have an interview and, she, you know, she behaves flirty and that's kind of it. And I said, but oh, is the segment called On Bed with... On the Bed with Paula Yates? He goes, no, it's in the bed. In bed with Paula Yates. And I said... All righty then. Well then, this guest is going to be in bed. And I'm going to drag Paul Yates in bed with me. And he went, you're not suggesting... All right, you are <laughs> suggesting... <laughs> you are a fit-looking chap, aren't you? With that, I took my gear off and got in the bed. She was absolutely unaware of this, of course. And, and live television... They threw to her downstairs. She walks up a kind of spiral staircase and she goes, and I'm absolutely delighted to have on the bed with me today, Craig McLaughlin. And I went, no, he'd be in the bed. 
he'd be in the bed and he'd be waiting for you. <laughs> and of course, Paula, not being one to shy away from a challenge, said, oh, oh, all right, we're finally going to do this segment as it should be done, are we? And I said, let me, allow me. And with that, I pulled the cover up and back. The cameras at the end of the bed, they can't see. I tell you this, folks, for what it's worth, Paula could certainly see. (laughs) She never got in the bed with me that day. (laughs) (laughs) And the interview was certainly flirty. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll talk more about this in Craig McLaughlin and Box Cutters Part 3. If I can use the word part. Uh, and look, look for the uh, the book, too, of the series. <laughs> Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.